Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters, Mark Lepresti, Managing Director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Massioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Welcome, B3 Nation, to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Tweet out to space. Follow all my co-hosts. I'm Rob Nelson from Roundtable Media. I'm here with John Nigerian, Dr. J, Alex Massioli, Mark Lepresti, uh, Nick from the research desk at Trade the Chain. Good to have you guys all here. Good to have everybody listening. Happy Tuesday, because we know what tomorrow is. Tomorrow is going to be the Fed day. Tomorrow is not going to be a happy day, but we'll talk about that. Uh, Mark, we have uh, we have a sponsor today. Ba- uh, is it Backtech Environmental Corp? Yeah, that's right, Rob. Backtech Environmental Corp. These guys are going to be a small cap spotlight feature, I think, in next Sunday's show, schedule permitting. This is a really interesting company that John and I found down at the LD Micro Conference in Puerto Rico a couple of months ago that we did the show from. And they have a really incredible process for extracting gold and other valuable minerals Um from from really uh, uh, terrible and dirty conditions where there's lots of arsenic and things like that through a process called bio-leaching. And what's interesting about this company is they're about to embark uh, on a fundraise uh, through the issuance of a, of a bond to actually establish one of these large bio-leaching operations in Ecuador. It's a great ESG story. going to uh, create lots and lots of jobs and and change the financial landscape of a a town in in Ecuador. Um, And so Moody's actually gave these guys yesterday uh, a green reading on their bonds. Uh, That was a pretty arduous process to get that. So it's it's a small company. It's it's early stage, but we like it. And it's part of this new sequence that we're going to be doing where we're highlighting really interesting small caps. Um, th- these are paid placements, just in full disclosure. We do take a very investor's view and do our diligence and check them all out, but we are compensated for highlighting these companies in full disclosure to our listeners. And this is one that we really, really like. So I think you'll find up in the crow's nest links to a press release about that green bond story, a link to the company's website so you can learn more about what they're doing in this bio-leaching process. And this is the kind of stuff that not only for gold and, and silver, but for other uh, precious and as they refer to them as rare earth minerals, you know, we are going to and already do consume these things at a ridiculous pace uh, for the EV economy. And that's only going to grow as, of course, we know. So uh, check it out. Back Tech Green is the website. But as I said, you can smash those links up there in the crow's nest to learn more. Awesome. Awesome. You guys have, you guys make good picks. So, you know, it'd be fun to do that small cap segment uh, this Sunday. Mark, while you're on the topic, since you're talking about 
we get a little overview. I know that the Dow Jones is ru- is running a great winning streak. W- what's it look like? Is it going to continue? Yeah, that's a great question, Rob. And I think that's largely up to our friend, the feckless Fed leader, Jay Powell. Of course, you point out that tomorrow is the big day when we actually hear the decision. The meeting actually started today, the two-day July FOMC meeting, but we don't get any news on the first day. But yeah, as you point out, the, the Dow Jones actually trended and closed higher today, up 26 points, very mildly, but positive, certainly, to 35, 438, spot 07. Longest winning streak in more than six years as uh, traders and investors anticipate not only what j is going to say and do tomorrow, but as we digest earnings, which are going fairly well so far. Uh, the NASDAQ uh, also advanced slightly <coughs> more than half a percent, spot 6.1 to 14,144, spot 56. Uh, we got some uh, interesting uh, news out this morning. Of course, we cover on the week ahead on Sundays. We told everybody that today, Tuesday, we would get that PMI, that manufacturing index. That came in at 52 versus last month's 53.2. So, slow, so showing uh, you know some, some decline, some slowing in that industrial manufacturing, part of an inflation, or excuse me, I should say a disinflationary picture. I think it's it's good. It's sort of confirmatory going into what we're expecting JPAD to do tomorrow with that 25 basis point hike, the market pricing that in as a virtual certainty. But of course, what everybody's really focused on is what is the commentary that Jay Powell is going to offer either in his prepared remarks or sometimes where the juicy stuff comes in during the press conference uh, as it relates to what might happen in September. September 20, of course, is the next date to put in your calendar earnings, excuse me, uh, uh, FOMC uh, calendar for those of you that celebrate as we like to joke um, and I, I think, as I said before, we're going to be looking at a pause in September. Um, and, uh, you know, in the meantime, look, the market is really keenly focused on earnings. We had 186 companies report today, Microsoft and Alphabet, uh, two of them. Um, and look, between now and next uh, and Friday, we've got another all 900 companies reporting. So as we said on Sunday, Super, super busy week with just shy of 1,700 companies reporting earnings as we get into the really hot streak part of the uh, 2023 Q2 earnings season. Awesome stuff. Dr. J, John Nigerian, uh, want to give us a little macro minute, if you will, and maybe some fantastic futures to top it off? Sure. Uh, happy to, Rob. Um, welcome, everybody. Uh, the macro minute really is... Google blew by estimates, top line, bottom line, everything over there at Google was pretty much just right uh, as you would like it if you're long, and luckily we were. Um, In Google, they had been buying, Rob, the uh, um, August 4th expiring 130 and 135 calls. That was with the stock right more or less where it closed at 123. Uh, That's approximately where Google closed today. Um, uh, And in the after hours, it's popped as much as 8%. It's holding on to about a 6% gain, um, which means in uh, real numbers right now, Google is trading 129.60, so about uh, $6 higher than uh, where it closed, $6.70. 
higher than where it closed. So obviously a very nice report. Uh, and the fact that revenue was nearly $75 billion, um, which easily blew by the less than $73 billion they were expecting. And we're talking billions here, guys. We're not talking millions. So when you blow by estimates by over $2 billion, you're doing something. Um, bottom line number, $1.44 per share, um, more than the $1.32 that was the street estimate. And uh, I would say, Rob, that given the sort of uh, interest that Google always draws before earnings and after earnings, um, you know, this one point six roughly trillion dollar company will be one of the most actively traded again tomorrow. Um, we pushed all the way through uh, a new high for the 52 week high. The low was 83.45. We're trading just shy of 130 as I just said and the old high was 129.55. So all good on the Google front. As far as Microsoft, it's not as bullish. Um, Microsoft struggling a little bit, and uh, the stock down about three or four dollars in the post. It wasn't like it was a horrible report, Rob. Um, but uh, and in fact, uh, it is, of course, uh, I believe the second richest company in the United States, if not the world, at 2.6 trillion. Um, and turnover was very high during the day-to-day. -day. They were buying a lot of upside calls, but they were buying them in September. So there wasn't a bet like there was in Google that in the short term, we would see uh, a substantial pop. Instead, somebody that was buying calls was buying, I think, the, the 290 calls. Um, the, with I'm sorry, 390 calls with the stock at 350. It's trading down about $4, like I said. Um, profit was 269 a share, uh, and the uh, sales uh, were uh, what uh, 56 billion dollars. Cloud, of course, being a big part of this, Rob, and uh, you know they call theirs Azure as opposed to uh, the Google Cloud or um, AWS, which is the mother of all clouds right now. Um, but there's a lot of competition in that space. Um, I think it's going to be about AI and what people discuss about how Microsoft is applying their massive investment into um, the company that's known for that, the ChatGPT uh, company, which uh, is symbol AI. Um, I think that'll be what drives this one tomorrow. I'm not so much concerned about a 3 or $4 move out of a $350 stock because you know, we're there, we're just talking, you know, uh, about basically uh, uh, less than half a percent move for a $350 stock. So we'll give uh, this one a chance tomorrow and see where it goes. But yeah, that was, uh, that's more or less the macro minute or macro several minutes, I guess, Rob, that we have. That's awesome. Um, and we're going to talk more in the show about, you know, companies that are getting beat up on the street when they beat their earnings estimates. So I don't know if that'll happen with Google, but we, we are going to have a little conversation about why that's going on. John, do you have a future, a future pick you want to toss out real quick? Sure. Just real quick. Cocoa Futures, they're up 34% year to date. Um, that's, uh, I believe, close to a record move. They were up another 2% today. 
cocoa and sugar both. Um, sugar hit an 11-year high uh, earlier this year. Both of those two substances are needed for uh, chocolate. And so with the world's hunger for chocolate being as high as it's ever been, um, this means that we're all paying a lot more for M&Ms, for Mounds bars, for anything with chocolate in it, Rob. So uh, I'd say fantastic futures. It's not so fantastic if you're somebody that is buying those products, but it's pretty fantastic if you've been along those futures. I didn't realize there was a, a, a surge in chocolate demand. Uh, I don't know that it's a surge in demand, but there certainly is a surge in uh, the uh, cost of production and the consumers so far are bearing it. Um, and I think it's one of those things like coffee though, Rob, it's really tough to step away from it. And if you're somebody who's addicted to it, coffee or chocolate, luckily I'm only addicted to one of those two and it's the, the hot version. It's coffee. It's not chocolate. I'm addicted to diet Coke. Alex Massioli. Um, not a great week for Bitcoin, is it? No, not at all, and I'm not addicted to that, let me tell you, but I am addicted to all those things that you just mentioned, so uh, it looks like my cost of living is about to go up. Um, no, Rob, uh, you know, Bitcoin hasn't been doing itself or the rest of the crypto market any good this week. Total crypto market cap is down to $1.17 trillion from $1.25 trillion on July 14th, which I had a little more pep in my step back then when I was announcing those numbers. Um, yesterday, we actually saw the largest liquidation of longs since the XRP verdict as Bitcoin dropped to 29.2. That liquidation number, uh, that liquidation number long position was $85 million for the day. And in the total preceding 72 hours, it is it, it topped 150 million. So it, it was a lot of people getting wrecked on the street, that's for sure. Um, when the XRK when the XRP case was ruled on, we saw short positions get killed to the tune of 130 million on that day. But as we all remember, uh the crypto bros and gals uh you know came right back into the market and and lifted it up uh the next day. So um, I, I don't know what we're going to see right now as far as uh, any lift up because Nick's going to touch on FOMC in a minute. But Ethereum is relatively flat on the day, uh, around eighteen sixty three right now. Um, but volume's been very light at four point one billion, and trading versus average is down a significant thirty six percent. Interestingly enough, the market saw a whale wallet that was dormant for the last six years sell off fifteen million worth of ETH. And overall, there's been some bleeding from the uh, from ETH into various large cap vaults. Now, while the interesting thing about the the dormant wallet, fifteen million isn't gonna isn't gonna hurt the Ethereum market. Um, but to think that, that that person held for six years during the even the bang cycle of twenty twenty one. Um, but we have been seeing investments go into uh, other top vaults, uh, such as Chainlink and and the such. Uh, it has uh, East has recovered from critical uh, support level, which was a much needed OPSEC uh, for the retail investor crowd. So you know that's the uh, the only shining light right now going through it. One high profile standout has been Doge which has gotten a boost from John and Marks, one of their favorite people in the TradFi space, Elon Musk, uh, who is the CEO of Twitter. 
um, actually it's X now, I think. And uh, the brand change has given speculation on whether or not Doge will become an integral part uh, payment token within the X ecosystem. Because as famously, uh, listen, he, he just said uh, he wants to make this the place everything. I, I actually don't know when this guy's imagination or his brain stops expanding on things. Um, but famously, people hold up uh, the ancient video from 2000 from his PayPal days when he actually had all his hair. Uh, and he was trying at that time to change PayPal to X.com back then um, to become this, you know, big fortress of a bank. And it didn't quite work. He, he uh, you know, in, in great fashion, got replaced uh, by Peter Thiel as uh you know, CEO of uh, PayPal.com, but he's brought X back again. Um, <clears throat> Doge is up 9% today with a daily sentiment score on the trade that changed dashboards of 90 and tweet volumes up 170%. So Doge getting a lift from uh, Mr. Musk. I would love to get Nick's insights on what the market's going to do right before the FOMC meeting because there's a lot of hesitating going on uh, around with trading best. So I'm going to leave the rest for Nick. Appreciate that, Alex. And uh, good luck in uh, new profile. Nick, sir, are you with us? Can, can you hear me? Nick, yeah, yeah I can right. loud and clear. Okay. okay. Okay, cool. Perfect. I, I know sometimes Elon likes to rug us, even though we speak uh, kind words about him. But yeah, you shout out Alex for that new profile picture. We don't think we don't notice uh, your your cool shades down there. Uh, and just to, just to add on the coffee and chocolate topic, I am an addict of both. Uh, so, you know, send it send it my way if you have it. Um, but talking about Bitcoin and FOMC, um, you know, I think Mark, you know, spoke some really true words about, you know, the equities markets on Sunday and how they may react to what we expect to be kind of a hawkish uh, FOMC, maybe a hawkish pause. We'll have to see exactly how that plays out. But um, I do think that, you know, the 25 basis point hike more or less is priced in and we'll be relying on Jerome Powell's outlook for that. And I do think that however equities react is going to be exacerbated on the crypto side due to a couple of reasons. Now, we talked uh, at long wind about lack of volatility, a lot of crypto moving on to exchanges, um, you know, the, these bearish red flags. And I don't think that they are gone yet. And and I think, you know, Mark touched on a really good topic with with Coinbase and some 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 the clouds that may be ahead and still over overhanging above us. And I, I just cannot be positive heading into what I anticipate to be a hawkish pause or at least just a hawkish FOMC in general. So Although uh, we are under my magic number of 29.5, uh, I you know I think that is the indication that we are still likely to see more bearishness in the short term. The, the inability to reclaim 29.5 in the 24 hours following a major price break uh, is always cause for concern. And I think that FOMC is only going to push us down further. But, you know, there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, because if we can hold 28.5K after the FOMC firestorm happens, then I think that bull the bulls can still come back in full swing and take us maybe above 30K for one more round, provided PCE looks positive on Friday. So above 28.5K, I will be looking for longs. If we break below 
28.5K and are unable to reclaim that by early next week, I will continue to unfortunately be a bear. Uh, it doesn't really make me happy, but I'm just glad that we are talking it straight to the investors and traders listening, and I hope they've been following our outlook. Hey, well, you around? Can we can anyone hear I see him, but I don't hear him. I'm I'm gonna Mark, I'm gonna I'm gonna take over uh in your position right now. I'm gonna say, hey, Mark, uh let's go to the trap file overview. Um <laughs> I like that, Alex. <laughs> but you know but you know what? But you know what? I'm gonna you, you Nick gave me like a perfect transition because he talked about Coinbase and I like and I think we should when we share a trade with the audience, when we share, we always disclose if we're long or short. You know, we we don't like talking our book, as they say out there, and 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 not disclosing. But you know, we did tell uh, the B three Nation, and I think John, you also uh, covered it uh, when you were on uh, live with Charles on Thursday when we put that bearishly leaning uh, put straddle on 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 Coinbase, and really interesting. When you think about a couple of the things that are moving and, and the stock traded a fairly broad range, as low as 97 and change today, uh, closed uh, at 97.68, was up as high as 102, almost 103, uh, 97.81 in the after hours. So that, that trade we put on is still is still profitable. But when you think about things like, you know, we were sort of focused on regulatory, Gensler going back to Congress, there's some another $110 million in enforcement. The possible appeal of the XRP decision, which I know we're going to talk about, which I think they will appeal, as I've said before, the attack on staking, the Brian Armstrong stock sales. But the one thing we didn't talk about on Sunday, and I'm really glad that Nick brought it up, is what the impact would be or will be of a 25 basis point rate hike. And what I anticipate will also be commentary from the Fed, from j that says we are not done. There is another hike in store before we cut and before we turn the corners. And that is, as it's expected to have a negative impact, potentially, as Nick said, on Bitcoin would, of course, then follow through to Ethereum, to, uh, excuse me, to Coinbase. Uh, Coinbase, of course, important to point out, is also reporting earnings tomorrow. So lots and lots of eyeballs on this one. Yeah, we're going to keep our eye on that one, Mark, because obviously, just like Mark said, folks, um, and we'll tell you when trades aren't working, too, because not every trade um, absolutely works, but you try to move the odds into your favor as much as you can. So Mark and I have a, a put spread where we're long a higher strike and short a lower strike. As long as that's not done in a ratio, as long as it's done one to one, it's directionally a bearish trade, uh, just as it would be bullish if we were long the 100 calls and short the 105s. That would be an example of a bullish uh, trade in Coinbase. And again, this is only really because of all those factors that Mark cited, as well as the 120% jump the stock has had since mid-June. Um, so it's not that we hate Coinbase. It's not that we don't believe in crypto or any of that stuff. It's because they're going into earnings. It's going to be a tough call to come out of this call with a, uh, a terribly bullish outlook when you've got a regulator who's crawling all over you, who won't even answer the phone when you call, and who uh, is trying to fight 
the lawsuits that you've already filed against him. So this is pretty much scorched earth on both com uh, the company side and on Jay Powell's side. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Gary Gensler's side. Sorry about that, Jay. Um, and I think that uh, this is something that, uh, you know, really Gensler, uh, he really needs to uh, get some sort of a win. I don't know that he's going to get one here. I think he's going to have to eventually actually answer his constituency about what the uh, regulations really are. And if that happens, then I think the, uh, the countdown clock for this poser is going to accelerate uh, rather dramatically in terms of getting him the hell out of that job. Well, it sounds like our we we don't have Rob back. I'm in our picture. I'm here. I'm here. There he is. I'm here. Twitter, Twitter hates me today. I've been here, then I couldn't hear my B3 Nation. Apologies. You're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Show. I am not an AI generated bot. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. We do it every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday special edition, 5:30 Eastern time. Please follow Get Rev Radio. Please follow all of our hosts and share out and tweet out the space. And should I ever disappear on UB3 Nation, I'll always come back. But Mark Lopresti will pick up wherever I leave off. Hey, um, Mark, did I miss talking about um, about the Fed? Uh, about the Fed? Um, no. Well, no. Okay. No, I don't think he did. Well, I mean, we we I think we covered it. We were, we were talking, Rob, about... You know, Nick Mancini brought up Coinbase and how Coinbase has been moving or might move after a 25 basis point hike tomorrow relative to correlation with crypto and Bitcoin. Um, but we really didn't talk much about the Fed. But uh, with your permission, though, Rob, I'd like to talk about this good news, bad news uh, situation with how markets are treating. Yeah, I know. Absolutely, Mark. And, and, and I asked you about this the other day, remember? Because I was curious, like, you know, were we going to see these companies? It's almost like better that you better, better that they, it just makes no sense. Like I do better than you expected. You punish me. I, I, I miss the estimates. You reward me. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly what's going on. Right. And for as long, and this is data from bank of America and uh, producer Patrick, we have a chart there. You could share in the crow's nest if you like, uh, it's not mandatory, but it's an interesting one. Um, since Bank of America has been tracking this, which is going back to the year 2000, who remembers the year 2000, huh? um, that this is the first time that uh, this is happening. And what we're talking about specifically is companies that beat estimates are underperforming on average companies that actually miss. And it's an interesting thing. And of course, with all of these data points like this, the question is, what is it telling us? Is and I think what it's telling us, and I'm curious. I have an opinion, and I'm curious to see what John's opinion is. Um, is that we have a combination of some of these companies that are beating estimates are also some of the ones that have that have really performed very, very well. Of course, you know, year to date so far. Of course, Coinbase, uh, you know, being being one of them, and that. Uh, when these stocks pop on the earnings beat that there's profit taking that's going on. And then after that earnings beat, the stock pops a bit. People take profits on that news because these are up so substantially, including like that Magnificent Seven. We're going to talk about those names in a little while. And that perhaps here's the other thing, and I want to turn it to Doc, 
it may also be an indication that we might be starting to look for, or, or that traders might be starting to look for some for some buys, some bargains here, um, and that the risk appetite might be starting to return slowly, but starting to return as we turn the corner. Even though tomorrow we're going to get a hike, not a pause or a story, uh, or a cut, but that there is an end in sight. We know with relative certainty what's going to happen two more 25 dips and then we start cutting Q1. And that is usually very often when the risk on party starts again. John, what do you think this is telling us with this B of A data? Well, it, it's really tough. Um, and by the way, just to throw it out to everybody, PacWest did agree to be bought by um, um, the Bank of California, PACW. I know many of you saw this in the after hours, but in case you didn't, um, because it's only news that's about an hour old or so. Uh, they uh, are going to be bought uh, or do a merger of equals, however you want to view it. But they're up 40 percent um, on this idea that they're being acquired, as the headline says. Um, and the only reason I throw that out there is, A, it's, move, it's market moving news. It's a 40 percent move by PacWest. And because Mark was just kind of talking about banks a little bit right there, and financials have been the weakest sector in the second quarter, and now obviously as we kick off the third. Um, overall, Mark, I'm I'm uh, we're only beating by about uh, so far. I guess seventy percent of the stocks that have reported have beat. That's well under the eighty uh, percent that we'd been averaging prior. Um, so. I mean, maybe it is Mark that a lot of people are thinking that we should be seeing more upside out of these stocks, and if we don't, then people are more than willing to just say, "Hey, it's been a hell of a run. I'm going to take some off the table and wait," because we're not going to have the Fed to kick around or to drive markets uh, after this meeting on Wednesday tomorrow. Um, we're just going to be, and by the way, I'm going to join your friend, Mark, and mine, Liz Clayman, tomorrow uh, from Barbados, uh, because Alex and I are going down for a little uh, uh, meeting that I can't even describe because the participants um, have sworn us all to secrecy. Uh, but I think overall that we're going to see more of that same like profit a uh, pop and then profit taking if the uh, guidance doesn't justify much much higher uh, prices and I think the the news from Google was certainly great all the way across the board Microsoft we're going to have to see when we get more commentary from them which we'll probably get either after hours tonight or tomorrow um, but right now I think. Uh, that that's a mixed bag between those two, Microsoft down a little and uh, um, Google up about three or four percent. Well, let me ask you guys something on that. So if John, if what you're saying is it's going to, you, you know, you expect more of this, it's, is it, it would be fair to say the markets aren't punishing the companies for doing well. You're saying people may just decide we want to take some money off the table. If you haven't met the mark, People wouldn't do that, so maybe they're like, "Okay, we see we see progress. We're supporting the progress." It's almost like success is not a good thing, but people are. What you're saying is people are saying, "Yeah, we like it. Good." But yeah, we're, I get we're putting some money in. Our I pocket. guess Rob, I'm not seeing the same thing as Bank America, as Mark said. Uh, what I'm seeing is instead that uh, 
if it's good news, it's good news. And if it's bad news, it's bad news. Um, that's what I'm seeing from the stocks that I'm tracking. Bank America is seeing something else, but they could be referring to um, Russell 2000 stocks. They could be referring to other stocks that I'm not trading. Um, and that could be why we're seeing two different pictures because there are seven some odd thousand stocks. And the, for the most part, I'm seeing the ones that, that are, you know, doing, providing good work are doing well. And the ones that are, are not doing so well. And to me, that's, uh, you know, more or less normal, I'll say. We always solve the mystery. Mark Mark comes up with the mystery, and then we all collectively solve it or figure out the correlations. Speaking of like Mark, that Scooby-Doo cartoon from the 70s yeah. and early 80s. And, and I, I just want to point out, I don't know what kind of sinister cabal that you and Alex are going to in uh, Barbados, but um, you, you've now inspired an entire B3 nation of sleuths to try to figure out what in the heck kind of a meeting or a coven. Well, that's for witches, I guess. I don't know if that's accurate, but boy, I'm very curious. But I know you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, tell you that place. I'll tell you maybe a little more on Thursday from the meetings. Mm -hmm. From the sinister yeah. cabal. Okay, that, that Facebook guy is going to be tracking your jet like he does. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the VIX. I love this topic, VIX seasonality. How many people even know what the VIX is? But it's it's a market signal, so. What is the VIX telling us about the second half of this year that we're moving into? And what is the VIX for people who don't know? I know it's a volatility index, but let people know why it's relevant. John, do you want to cover that tutorial? I'll jump in. Um, it is, uh, so what the uh, options uh, pricing model does, folks, is it uses a model that's in many ways very, very similar to the actuarial tables that insurance companies use. How many people are likely to die? How many people are likely to get in car accidents? How many hurricanes are likely to hit? And all this sort of thing. It's not just guesswork, but of course, it's not an exact science either. Um, in some cases, you'll have uh, an abundance of storms, uh, hurricanes and others. And in other cases, you'll have uh, terrible weather that causes a lot of car accidents and things like that. And those are unexpected events. So you have what um, would be, uh, I guess, called normal activity, and then you'd have that unusual activity. And in the case of uh, uh, the VIX, you're basically doing the same thing that you do to price Google options or American Express or Apple options. You take the square root of 256 because it's... Uh, uh, there are approximately 256 trading days. As everybody listening to this call knows, we don't trade 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We only trade uh, uh, five days a week um, for whatever, six and a half hours or whatever. Um, so uh, we do see gaps and so forth. And these are really hard to uh, anticipate and price. So what people do is they move up volatility into unknown events, um, asking for more premium to protect you during those times, and less premium when it seems like everything's calm. So right now, um, if we were to look around and say, well, what is the VIX? The VIX right now is 13.86. It's virtually flat on the day. 
and it's near the uh, the the low of the year. Um, the 52-week low for the VIX is just four points lower and four pennies lower, actually, than where it is right now. It's 1386. The low is 1382. The high is 35. So the high is more than double where the VIX is right now. So people are saying with their money, with their um, investments in the S&P 500, um, they're saying that we, we seem fairly smooth sailing right now in the S&P 500. Um, at times like that, I like to be a buyer of the VIX because I know that it rarely stays that way. Um, just like when it gets really high, I like to sell the VIX thinking that it's unlikely we're able to maintain a high volatility. Now, a 16 VIX would imply a 1% move on a daily basis. Right now, at just under 14, we're obviously under a 1% move, and none of the three indices today made much of a move at all. The Dow was virtually unchanged today. It was up 26 points. It's a 35,000-point index. The S&P 500 was up 12. It's a 4,500-point index, and so that's only two-tenths of 1%. The NASDAQ was up 85. Wow, what a move. That's only six-tenths of 1%. So none of them were justifying even this 1386. So it kind of shows you that people overall, Rob, believe that the market is uh, in a range and it's a lower end of the range and they don't see much higher moves for quite a while. Now, into a, a, a report like tomorrow, that would normally be a higher volatility, but right now, with a 99% certainty that we're going to see a 25 basis point move from the Fed, the only thing that volatility betters could be um, hanging their hat on would be Jay Powell either screwing up or really going full-blown hawk or dove. Other than that, we're going to be right here tomorrow. And it's interesting, Mark, right? Because you know, as well as John does and Alex does, and it seems like everyone does, that he's going to raise 25, they're going to raise 25 basis points more, right? For them to do anything else, that would be nutted, right? If they just said, we're going to do 50, like that, that's not going to happen, right? It is what will happen after that, what he says, which could be something. Yeah, I mean, and look, um, and, and I want to come back to what this interesting, this VIX seasonality, now that we've done a, a VIX 101, John did a superb job, as always. Um, I, I think there's, there's no uh, way to guarantee and, and, and promise anything, though he's absolutely positively no way he's going to do anything but 25 basis points. I think it's a 99% chance, but nothing is ever 100 in this world. A few things are 100%. Um, so it's really, uh, Rob, around the commentary, is it? And that's where we get that hawkish versus dovish uh, uh, descriptions. And and as I've said, I think it's got, the market's going to consider it to be moderately hawkish, indicating that the work is not done. They're still going to be reliant on that. I can almost anticipate what he's going to say in the prepared remarks. But getting back to this this VIX, right? Um, it, it's John explained what it is. It's also not only and, and, and something you can invest in in terms of market volatility, but it's also an indication of market directionality. And like anything, we love to see and look at how things have um, operated historically. And there is 
a seasonality. There is, there are trends um, that tend to repeat themselves in some instances it relates to the VIX quite a lot, uh, particularly at this time of year. Now, of course, at this time of year, we're not always uh, dealing with, uh, you know, this uh, un uh, unprecedented rate hike, uh, uh, pace of rate hikes, et cetera. Um, but the point being, 75% of the time over the past 20 years, the VIX tends to increase from the beginning of July when it tends to bottom and go up from there and peak in mid-October. 75% of the time, that is a really uh, heavily skewed indication that this this trend that will that has repeated itself many times may very well repeat itself again and some might argue that you know the low in july is 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 due in part to uh, people going on vacation july and august traditionally especially when folks used to actually have to be on the floor of exchanges and or in their offices july and august were typically low trading volume and therefore low volatility months but I think there's something a there's something more to it. Um, and by the way, a lot of traders think that uh, a VIX that might peak in mid-October, peak for the year, if the trend follows this time as it has so often, might be a bearish signal in terms of market directionality for where we might go from from just before there and and after. Awesome stuff. This is Wills Wears in Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. This is our Tuesday edition. We do Tuesday, Thursday, and a Sunday show, 5.30. Please follow us at Get Rev Radio and follow everyone who's talking. We're going to get to crypto, our crypto block in a couple minutes. I want to do one more TradFi topic. Mark, I think I like talking about the auto giant GM, if you're up for that, because yeah. we talk a lot about the auto, auto industry, and you talk a lot about guidance for, you know, so tell me what is it? Yeah, we we Rob cut out there um, a second. So yeah, Auto Giant GM reported today um, a beat estimates on the uh, EPS. They reported a dollar ninety one a share. Um, the street, I believe, was looking for about a dollar eighty five a share, and they also beat pretty decently. On the revenue side, $44.7 billion versus $42.6. Those certainly good things for GM shareholders and a good indication of directionality of the auto industry. Um, but what was also interesting was they raised their guidance. And this was the second time this year that GM raised their guidance, um, indicating, and some of this, by the way, is a result of cost-cutting measures, which is great. We talk about that all the time. Investors tend to reward companies that announce and that embark on meaningful cost cutting. There's definitely some meaningful cost cutting in the works at GM. $3 billion in top line expenditures uh, are reported to be cut between uh, now and through the end of the year. They had previously reported $2 billion, so another billion dollars in costs on the chopping block for GM, a good thing for their bottom line. Um, and look, I, I think this tends to bode uh, very well potentially for the auto industry. Uh, one of the big things, one of the big question marks as to whether or not GM can deliver between now and the end of the year is, of course, there's a, a potential uh, strike from the Auto Workers Union, the United Auto Workers Union, and the Canadian Auto Workers Union, um, which could potentially impact thousands and thousands and thousands of workers at the GM plants. Uh, but overall, a very, very good thing 
and also some fairly uh, bullish and fairly positive reporting from GM as it relates to their EV division, um, producing 50,000 EVs so far in 2023, uh, a little less than expected, I think, from the beginning uh, of the year, uh, but but still overall good news. John, what did you think of GM's numbers today? Um, overall, Mark, uh, it wasn't one of my uh, top traders today. Um, I, I thought that the fact that they were, you know, falling by 4% or whatever, um, the, the Chevy Bolt did seem like it was, uh, something that, uh, was popular enough that it should come back. I thought, um, but overall, uh, the General Motors news to me, um, really needs to be focused on whether they can get enough material from uh, uh, the various sources for uh, the batteries that they need for their EVs versus Ford and Tesla and the rest. So uh, overall, though, I thought that it was just a nothing burger to me, Mark. And quick question on that is, there used to be where one of the leaders goes, the rest of the industry could would kind of follow. Is that true in, in the auto industry? And particularly now, are there two pieces of the auto industry, the companies that are just EV companies versus the the traditional ones that also have EVs in their... In their- to my knowledge, Rob, the only one that is pure EV is just, uh, you know, you've got your Teslas, um, Lucids, uh, Rivians, as far as United States... Um, those are your primary, uh, just EVs. That's all they make. Every, uh, you know, Fiat, Chrysler, um, GM and Ford, uh, Mercedes, BMW, you know, we go through the list. All the rest of them produce both, um, ICE or internal combustion engines, as well as either plug-in hybrids or full EVs. But, um, there aren't a lot of, uh, in fact, uh, to my knowledge, one of the only pure plays on the uh, uh, on the ITE space is Aston Martin, and that's why they're partnering up with Lucent, because all they do are um, internal combustion engines, and uh, they needed to get in the EV game. Interesting. Last question on this, Mark. Do you think uh, th- do you think the second half or the rest of this year is going to be good overall for the auto industry? Is that too big a is that too big kind of question to put out there when you're looking at all your trends? No, it's it's not too big a question. And, and I'll be honest with you, Rob. Um, I was a little surprised, pleasantly surprised. I was a little surprised that the, the the forward guidance, not just the numbers, but that the forward guidance was as rosy as it is because. We still have the problem, right, of interest rates. We still have the problems of contraction and credit. We still have the problems of the American consumer being historically low on savings, historically high in credit card debt, the student loan, uh, you know, uh, forgiveness programs still up in the air as to what may happen there. And I've spoken to some friends in the auto industry. In fact, one of the friends of mine that uh, came with me last week to Cincinnati so that Renz game that we talked about is a pretty pretty big player in the auto industry that owns many, many dealerships. And he is concerned. He's concerned about new cars that are sitting on the lot. He's concerned about how long they're sitting on the lot. He's concerned about how many new cars may continue to sit on his lots through the end of the year. And all of those concerns <clears throat> center on 
just the, the, the consumer credit picture and the availability of reasonably priced uh, uh, in, you know, car loans from an industry perspective as a result of what j has done. Well, we will see. Right, let's talk crypto, everybody. Um, Nick and uh, Alex, so we, we mentioned this the other day, but you know this, this whole question of is there going to be an appeal from the SEC in the Ripple case and whether the, you know how crypto investors will do in that, and, and even how you know other big companies like Coinbase will do, and certainly how Ripple will do. So one of you want to jump in and, and uh, give me the big picture? Are we worried? Are we not worried? Well, I definitely want to give uh, Nick a say in this um, because uh, I know that Mark and I went back and forth on Sunday's segment about it. But before I do, I just want to touch real quick uh, back on the General Motors case. Um, I, you know, M- Mark is absolutely correct. The the biggest thing in forward guidance when it comes to the automakers, particularly domestically here, is going to be the credit crunch. Um, you know, w- we see interest rates that are through the roof on used car vehicles, and Mark covers uh, used car uh, prices quite a lot on the show. Um, but we also have a glut of about 35 to 5% of new car inventories carrying over from this model year into next model year and unsold uh, inventory on dealer lots. We're seeing a lot of rebates on, uh, particularly on big trucks. Uh, I think Ford Lightnings are getting about $10,000 rebates. We saw Tesla cut even the EV, you know, their EV models down. But the thing with GM is the bolt has been around and I'm putting tinfoil, uh, at Alex on the bolt's been around for a long time. General Motors has had an EV car, uh, but far longer than Tesla has, but has never successfully uh, sold it it, to the masses. Um, A couple of things that they're doing is, you know, one, they made the great, uh, the great deal with Tesla as far as integrating their, their superchargers, you know, their, their, the way you gas it up. Um, And I think that's going to fall in line with a lot of other automakers as well. Uh, You go back to the old uh, cell phone days, right? And there was a bill passed in Congress where all cell phone chargers had to be the same because people got sick of different plugs going in. Um, I think that you're going to see that as a, a, as a general thing across the auto industry and the EV sector. Also GM and, 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 and Mary Barros, who's been the CEO since 2014, I believe uh, I highly applaud her woman CEO of a very big company. Um, but they're part of their expenditures are also going to facilitate in-house hiring of workers on the EV projects. And they're blaming their EV slowdown on various suppliers and sorts, which Tesla doesn't seem to have a problem with, um, but General Motors and Ford alike do. So I think you're going to see a lot of that money, a lot of that expenditures spent on building infrastructure on the inside out rather than having an external vertical on EV production in order to compete with Tesla. But that's just my two cents. I won't get into the whole gas industry and why EVs ah, was ready. You were going to successful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now I'm going to hand it over to Nick for the XRP case. 
Appreciate that, Alex. And, and hey, on the energy topic, um, you know, uh, oil is bumping up against resistance. So we've seen gas prices jump a little bit, too. So I would uh, I would keep your eye on that one as a possible trade or, you know, potentially indicating that inflation may not, uh, you know, be be heading as low as we expect in the near future. But on the Ripple uh, case, so so Mark and Alex, you know, had great points, I think, on the Sunday show it was in regard to the uh, Ripple pot or SEC possibly a appealing Judge Torres's ruling in the Ripple case. And of course, uh, I'm not going to get too much in the weeds. I think we've covered that enough. But today is actually the 10th day from the ruling, which is also the deadline for the SEC to file their appeal. So, uh, you know, I think an interesting possible trade, you know, and then Mark, please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think the SEC has a, has a you know, a 6 p.m. deadline on filing appeals. I think they have, you know, pretty much the full day. So if we do get some news into the late evening, I think uh, XRP is a decent short at 71 cents uh, with a with a close stop at 71.5 cents or 72 cents. Um, but, you know, if the SEC does officially appeal this ruling, it, it kind of sends ripple back a couple of steps now i don't think that it's going to go straight to zero or or you know um you know take away the entire rise that it had on the 14th but it is important to consider that if the if ripple faces more legal challenges and more legal scrutiny there is that chance that the either the ruling could be overturned or a, a new ruling could somehow come into play later on down the road and of course that is a risk to ripple uh and i think it represents a risk to all of the quote-unquote securities that the SEC deemed in their uh, lawsuits against other exchanges, uh, you know, a- a around the Ripple ruling. And I think Solana was one of the biggest coins on that list. So we're keeping a close eye on that one as well. Uh, but, you know, the, the moral of the story here is we have not seen an appeal at the supposed deadline. And that information is coming from Coinbase's chief legal officer, uh, who I trust greatly on these types of topics. So uh, I'll be keeping a close eye into that into the evening. But Mark, just kind of to pass it over to you, if they if they go past the deadline, meaning they don't file today, but they maybe they still want to, is there a chance or after 10 days? Is this ruling set in stone? It's a great yeah, question. It's so. So the short answer is a couple of things. One, you're you're right. Uh, they do have until midnight uh, Eastern time. The Southern District is where this case is in here, New York, which is where this case is being uh, heard and, and litigated. Um, you you can move to file an appeal uh, late. You have to show good reason why. I don't expect that that would be the case because. A government agency with all the substantial resources like the SEC and and issues of law that have been, as everybody knows, being bantered about now for so long. I don't know what the SEC's excuse would be to ask to file an appeal uh, past the deadline. It's something that is very rarely granted in in my uh, humble experience. Um, so I think if we don't have anything filed today, then maybe you and Alex uh, were right, and they're at the SEC. Gary is not going to choose to take this one out to the schoolyard any further than he already has. Uh, wouldn't it be fair at this point to assume, though, if he was still, if they were going to file anything today, an, ext- an, ext- an extension, which right, that would make no sense. And probably- they, they could do that too, Rob. You're right. They could they could ask for more time to file the uh, the appeal, but. Um, but they have to do it surprised. by midnight. And if, Correct. if they were going to do something today by midnight, don't you think 
some we would know. We'd have some. Someone would have some idea. It would leak out. I mean, you think they're going to just file it at 11 p.m.? That seems bizarre. If they would just be like, "We're going to wait a minute and file it." No, that that never, ever since electronic filing became a thing a long time ago, um, that's not uncommon to see things filed after five o'clock at all. all right, we're going to keep our eye on it. It's be a happy day tomorrow if they don't do it. That'll compensate for the uh, FOMC. Uh, action tomorrow. Nick, um, give me a little um, Bitcoin. I know you did some in the, in the overview and I was only in for part of it, but Bitcoin fell below your, your precious number, right? So what does that mean? Yes, sir. Um, you know, if you if you were listening to Alex and I for the past couple of weeks, you know, uh, definitely bearish after the SEC ruling. Um, you know, my my three marks for red flags. I think you can carry this into pretty much any market. Is lack of volatility, big red flag. Lots of uh, you know, either coins or you know, you can think of a stock. Um, you know, I guess not not exactly in this context, but a lot of coins being moved onto exchanges is another red flag. Uh, and then um, you know, lower highs and lower lows. If you go and look at the daily chart or the four-hour chart, um, there are there was not a new high made since July 13th. And if you continue to look, it only made lower lows as we've crept down to this 29k you know high 28k level so these are all concerns on my end and when i'm talking about a break above 29.5k that would be the first indication of what we call a market structure break if you can break that level you now have a chance to form uh, a higher high it doesn't mean you will but it's the first step of that indication so that's why we're keeping a close eye on 29.5 because if it breaks higher market structure could change which could mean temporary bullishness. But if it gets rejected from 29.5 or is un unable to even make it up there, it is an indication that we will likely continue to be flat or down. And if we continue flat, again, red flags, lack of volatility would likely end up sending us lower. Or, you know, a, spi uh, a, a big spike, you know, from bearish news such as FOMC tomorrow. So we've got our eye lined out at the 28.5K level. It could certainly go lower but that is the bull or bear mark in my opinion lower than 28.5 i think you're going to see bitcoin and likely coinbase and, and many other crypto assets seep lower into the summer but if we can hold 28.5 or reclaim it uh into early next week then i think that you you can still you know put a little bit of bull uh, a little bit of steak back on the menu for the month uh you know of, of august and going into september so it's going to be tricky um but you know we we look for you know 28.5 as uh, as our next major support level and 29.5k is our major resistance level Alex, I guess the one good news in in what Nick's saying is if it does drop below and it does the and the price does continue to, to you know lag a little in the summer, be be good buying opportunities come fall. That's always the upside, right? There's always a good time to buy Bitcoin. It's not every day. Yeah, absolutely. And we we've seen uh, traditionally just like the stock market, um, you know, the summer uh, take a break. A lot of people want to head to the beach, take vacation. So. Um, you know, we saw last year, the year before, the year before that. I, I don't put too much credence into it. Um, what Nick is saying is absolutely correct as far as giving us support uh, to pull out of the summer with some momentum. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, FOMC, uh, it's, in my opinion, we have probably have September. 
And after that, it's a free-for-all, we're n- and we're not going to be stuck to Big Daddy as far as what we can do. And we'll see if we can really pull a bullish nerve going in, you know, through the end of Q3 into Q4. And I'm excited about to be honest with you. Yeah, basing on that, just to quickly, you know, we can still make, you know, a macro higher high on the weekly or monthly down to 25K, you know. So there's still a lot of room to still have bullish market structure on a very high time frame what i'm discussing right now is low time frame because we're obviously going to talk thursday we're going to talk next week there's plenty of time to catch up on on larger moves but just for in the short term with fomc hanging you know with what mark said with what john said with what alex said it doesn't seem the right time to be a a bull in crypto but again you know as long as we we stay above 28.5 and and in the worst case over the next couple of months above 25k there is still plenty of room for bullishness you know, and back to, to crazy price action in the years to come. There's always bullishness in the crypto space. Alex, last great insights, by the way. Alex, last quick question for you on the Bitcoin front, which is, and, and Nick, weigh in as well if you want. Everybody knows what we think will happen tomorrow with the FOMC. So is it fair? I used to say, you know, look at Bitcoin reacting to the Fed. But now that it's so clearly marked in, is it likely that if they do what they expect, Bitcoin won't move significantly either way? They'd have to do something really jarring? Oh, I'm going to leave this to Nick because he's the one who's dictating uh, our trading desk tomorrow when this breaks out. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Um, and so so generally, I think a 25 basis point, I mean, w- whenever we trade FOMC, it's important to remember this general rule of thumb. It's not 100%, but it typically happens every time you're expecting a, a rate hike uh, 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 and then, you know, having to wait for the guidance before, before moving forward. Whatever the rate hike volatility is, I'm not messing with that. So 2 p.m. to 2.30 p.m., you will not see me clicking many buttons unless I really feel uh, conviction prior to the trade. And I'm generally feeling short. So I'm looking to short any spike up overnight. Um, but, you know, that that first 25, 30 minutes is just is just the market reacting to things it already knows. And at that point, that's not anything I want to mess with. That's just volatility. That's just market makers steaming over retail. What I want to focus on is that is at 2.30, the guidance. Are we going to get more rate hikes in the future? Is Jerome Powell thinking inflation is going to come down to 2% anytime soon? If he's indicating uh, lack of happiness around inflation, if he's indicating more rate hikes in the future, that's likely going to be my bare momentum switch. And that's when I'll start clicking buttons around 2.25, 2.30 p.m. Once we know that is when we're off to the races. All right. Stuff. Great stuff, you guys. This has been Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. We'll do it again on Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time at GetRev Radio. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, B3 Nation. Have a good night. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.